The Water Voice is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane. Presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Hey everyone, welcome to The Water Voice. I'm Greg. And I'm Kevin. And we look forward to talking with you about all things water. And startups. And much more. Let's go. Welcome back to Aquapore's Water Voice Podcast, Greg, podcast number five. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, the 22nd. Um, a big shout out to all the sponsors who make Spokane's Many Voices Matter. You know, we are proud to be a part of, of the Speak Studios community. For today's guest, we are excited uh, for our conversation with a person who will, you know, surely bring some spirit and passion uh, to the table. Samuel Ian Rosen, also known as Captain Planet. Uh, coming from the grassroots of his New Jersey uh, childhood lake house and straight from some inspirational moments he had as a child at the Thomas Edison Laboratory. Um, Founder of MakeSpace and current CEO of a software company called Tap. He's an artist, entrepreneur, angel investor, a big thinker and problem solver. Samuel, welcome to The Water Voice. Kevin, Greg, thank you so much. I'm very appreciative, and it's great to be here on Earth Day. Love that. So I referenced a story um, about a field trip that you took as a child to the Thomas Edison Laboratory as part of your introduction. Um, It is enjoyable to view those that change the world as being inspired by specific moments, um, especially when they come from moments as a child. So take me back to that day. What inspired you um, to want to create multiple inventions in your lifetime? The, the thing that stood out the most at the Thomas Edison Lab in New Jersey is the beauty of the space. It's this magnificent brick building, high ceilings. It's you know what we, we today as, as startups uh, enjoy in design and creative spaces. And it was the first time I had seen a, a lab that outside of maybe a science lab in school, and I was in elementary school, if I recall, um, it, it was a, a space I had never seen before. And throughout the space were different workshops, different areas, uh, you know, like someone, you know, literally it's a, a place that you can experiment. And for Thomas Edison, that was in the physical world. Software didn't exist yet. Um, and very much startups, I think, are uh, channeling that energy today with open spaces that a startup might have a 3D printer or something, uh, those types of um, tools of the, of the time. And that's what, what overwhelmed me the most was this feeling of like, I can be a tinkerer. I can experiment in this creative space. And what I realized that the modern version, as I, as I grew older, the modern version of that for me is software. Wow. So well said, Greg. Yeah, that's really cool. I uh, I like how you talk about it gave you the inspiration or or the uh, kind of the pathway to tinker and tinker with things. I think that we don't have enough tinkering going on in the world today. I think that um, at least in the U.S., it seems like people get put on this path and this defined path that seems like the right thing to do. I think we need more tinkering. So that definitely sticks out to me. You know, what a, what a amazing thing to learn at such a young age, because it put you on this trajectory to where you are today. And I mean, that's a long time to be inspired. And so it's, it's going to be very exciting to see what, what comes of, of your storied career. I appreciate Absolutely. And one more thing I wanted to add was the creativity of space also had a library and um, I went to the University of Virginia where we learned uh, that Thomas Jefferson didn't want students to be uh, freshmen or seniors. They wanted them to be first years and fourth years in the vein that um, le- learning and education never stops. And in his office, uh, you know, in, the, in his lab was this massive library that had, you know, books, information. And that is another thing that has stuck with me, which is that 
in order to be successful, we often think about what's the actual you know, thing we might be working on, in his case, the light bulb, the filaments. But there's also a, 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 the, the opportunity for us to continue to educate ourselves. Um, so it, it really stuck with me that this person who we see is, and revere as one of the best inventors of all time never stopped educating himself and surrounding himself with information. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems as though some of your environmental passions um, stem from growing up on a lake you saw change in front of your eyes. So as a kid, you're swimming in the summer, you're ice skating in the winter. You're a great ice skater, by the way. <laughs> so it's like a kid's dream, right? Uh, but as time went by, you notice some changes happening to your North New Jersey lake. Describe to us the changes that you saw and ultimately why those were happening. It, uh, fantastic. And I, I appreciate the question because I think many people in the, in the, who are listening can relate that um, there is nothing like nature, being immersed in nature. And I think uh, the massive, uh, you know, freedom, the expression of freedom is like going on a bike ride by yourself as a kid. And I lived in this safe lake community that I could really start to explore and um, be kind of at peace in nature. Um, as you said, I grew up swimming and boating and fishing. So I loved water. Um, the first thing I noticed when I was probably in middle school or high school was the algae blooms from the fertilizer. I noticed that immediately uh, there, were, there, were, there were summers where we couldn't use the lake at all. We could not swim as the lake tried to um, prevent these algae blooms from happening. They even so far, it was a man-made lake, so they even so far as went to drain the lake and um, dredge the bottom of it to try to remove some of the chemicals and the pollution that I guess was at the bottom of the lake to try to improve the ecosystem. I also noticed that the stream, the water that was going into the lake itself, started to um, trickle, to, to, to decline in volume. And if I have the understanding correct, it had something to do with a hydroelectric plant that was built on a lake that feed, fed the stream that this lake community built, a man-made lake. So there were these events that were happening that caused my happiness to decline. Um, that, at an early age, uh, then compounded when I got older as a hockey player because then the lake stopped freezing. Um, and I started to notice this um, probably in college. So when I was in high school, we had blizzards. In college, I couldn't skate on that lake in, anymore in the winter. So it was really these um, events that were declining my happiness that started to attune me to something is going wrong in our environment um, years before I think we're starting to really have in the in the in the global consciousness of 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 issues with climate or the discussion around it. It's really a reflection of the larger issue, you know, that we're facing today, you know, here on earth day, um, where we're seeing how interconnected our earth is and how humans are so connected to our earth. And so great answer, Greg, I want to let you um, transition into his uh, make space days. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into that. But what you just said, Samuel is like, um, it's deep. It's, it's profound in a few ways. I think, we're to this point now where, you know, climate change is obviously very real and it's starting to affect people. And before, you know, it didn't matter. It, it was like, you know, in our own little bubble, um, we have clean water and, you know, we're spoiled, developed world, you know, Americans, we have clean water, we have sanitation, we have all these things. But you speak of that experience as a kid. And I go back to three, four, five years ago, even where we've had horrible wildfires, um, in the summer. And it's like, suddenly we can't go outside. So I can't be outside playing with my kids. We can't go to the lake. You know, you, you're, you're inside. So you don't, you know, breathe in this bad air and suddenly it becomes very like personal. And so I think everyone uh, can relate to this in some way. And, and that's why I think the consciousness, the, the idea of understanding uh, what's happening and how we can make small incremental steps, everyone is such a big deal. Um, so that's just a comment on that. I appreciate you sharing that story. Well, and, and I appreciate your reflection as well, especially, you know, 
a man with children to then have that protector role of, wow, like this is noticeably different. And how can I ensure, because, you know, we want to leave it better for the future generations after realizing what the generations before us did. And the founding fathers of our country, of the United States, were in their 30s. So I'm, I'm 36. So it really is that pivotal time that it's our generation's responsibility to step up and protect the planet and make these changes so that the future ones can enjoy them. Well, I want to switch gears real quick, and then we'll come right back to it'll. This will all come full circle, I think. But uh, you are an entrepreneur and a founder at heart, and so you went to school at UVA, correct? University of Virginia. That's right. And uh, was it in 2013 you founded MakeSpace? It was uh, just uh, uh, 2012, um, October was Hurricane Sandy. And that was the Eureka event that just a few months after that kind of January timeframe of 2013 is when I incorporated and began the company. Yes. That's awesome. Okay. You have to tell us the story because you built that company into something that's like not small. I appreciate it. Um, The story was um, a previous girlfriend of mine uh, back in 2012. um, She was in Hoboken, New Jersey, which was hit very hard by a uh, by the surge in the hurricane. Um, Hoboken's right on the water to the west of Manhattan, Um, and the uh, there are the lower lying levels of of the city were flooded to the point where she had, I believe, you know, one to two feet of water in her apartment. And um, I was outside the country at the time. I uh, came back to the United States to assist her. And um, in the process of cleaning up disaster, um, I, for the first time at, I think it was 20, I don't remember, I don't don't remember my age at the time, uh, 28, 27, somewhere in that range. um, I had to put stuff into storage. She did not know where she would go after just having everything destroyed. And it was one of those things with disaster, you gotta move quick. It's like, gotta gotta do it, you know, gotta put some stuff somewhere within like 48 hours. And it was November, it was cold, or late October, early November. So the eureka moment for me as a software person was I put all this stuff into a storage unit and she forgot a pair of her favorite boots. And she wanted to find those boots and said, like, and now I'm looking at a wall of a 10 by 10 storage unit that literally like closing the doors, she says another ends like, well, it's like, it might be more economical for her to buy another pair of boots than for us to spend like eight hours pulling everything out of this storage unit. And I had this eureka moment of like, why isn't physical storage as easy as an of an interface as digital storage if we have dropbox for virtual files why isn't there something that's a dropbox for physical stuff and that was my mission uh to create that with makespace that's so cool um and you've grown it um talk about the path from founding to the time that you kind of stepped away and we'll talk about what you're doing now which i think is absolutely is even more exciting and impressive. But talk to us about, you started the company, you grew it and kind of, I mean, you raised series A money, how much total, how many employees? Yeah. Yeah, I'll walk walk through it. So I think the thing for anyone who's a aspiring entrepreneur, like what I think the advice that is most helpful is at the earliest stage is companies like a make space, which are very, big now start can start over a weekend the first step can begin immediately um for makespace our first customer found us via a google uh maps pin location for a storage unit which was actually our office in new york we had put up a web page and people can do that with webflow for free these days and uh, i wore a green t-shirt and got some bins at, at home depot and a hand truck, a dolly. And when that customer called a phone number that routed to my cell phone, I said, make space storage, and went and picked up that customer's stuff and brought it to our office. That office then became 
a local storage unit that we pre-Uber in New York City, we would have to flag down the minivans as opposed to the taxi cabs because we couldn't request like Uber XL and took it to a storage unit. And then when we outgrew the storage unit, we found a third-party warehouse. And all along the way of building and growing that business was, okay, now that we have bins in an office, we need to track them. Let's build some software. Now that we have bins in a third-party warehouse, now that we're spending so much money on a third-party warehouse, we should insource this because our margin goes up. So really, when starting something that seems, you know, that becomes very significant, it really can be built. The the MVP, the minimum viable product of that can be built, um, I believe, um, typically in a weekend. Um, That company that I started um, has since grown to hundreds of employees. Um, I don't have the current count off the top of my head. Um, it's in over 30 cities through a strategic partnership with a company called Iron Mountain that does um, operational fulfillment. So tap powering software and a brand and um, Iron Mountain powering the boots on the ground and the warehousing space through their network. Um it's raised, I believe now, uh, north of $150 million. Um, and it's, you know, I believe uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article that said um, during the pandemic, because the four major uh, uh, um, drivers of the storage business, and I knew this starting the business, was death, downsized, divorce, and disaster. And storage is pretty much recession proof. So when the pandemic hit and people had to consolidate, um, MakeSpace's revenue actually doubled to a $50 million run rate. And I believe it's on a $75 million run rate, um, I think for 2021. So uh, $50 million for 2020. So the business grew significantly as a result of, of you know the pandemic as an essential service. That's really cool. So just to recap that, I mean, a climate disaster was the impetus really for this idea. And right. you build the company up you step away and you transitioned into your next big idea. And so I want to talk more about that. Um, You need to explain to us, because this is really exciting, the concept behind TAP. What's the premise of TAP, TAP software? And what was the inspiration for you to start that company? Absolutely. Um, so in my three months uh, after MakeSpace, it was a, a brief period of time. I traveled through an airport with a water bottle that I always carry, a reusable bottle. And I filled up at the water fountain and the water didn't taste very good. Um, I believe like the filter had to be changed. And at the time there were obviously Uber and I think either bird or lime had just gotten started. You know, there's all these services that you can rate your experience just after using it. And I was like, I need to rate this water fountain and give it a poor rating. So my software brain, my nerd brain opens up Google maps and I type in water fountain. And when I didn't find any water fountains at Google maps, I had this Eureka. Like people say they drink bottled water out of quote convenience but not being able to find water on Google Maps, in my opinion, is inconvenient. And I learned that because back in college, I worked at another New York company called Seamless, now part of Seamless Grubhub, that put food on the internet. Previously, I'm sure everyone who's used Uber Eats or DoorDash, etc., is the beneficiary of the seamless team going out and getting restaurants. And I sold fax machines and computers to restaurants to create this network of online food ordering delivery, uh, a company that was started in 1999. I was there in like 2005. So what I realized was the power of software to connect food to the internet, but it took it a step further. If you ask artificial intelligence like Siri or um, Alexa, hey, I'm hungry it will actually give you search results listings of Yelp restaurants nearby because you asked it a search query. When I asked that query to Alexa, hey, I'm thirsty, or tell me where the nearest water fountain is, it doesn't have a database of where water fountains are. So to me, that is inconvenient. 
And Mark Andreessen, an extremely well-known entrepreneur and operator who started the Netscape browser and Andreessen Horowitz, has this saying, which is software is eating the world. So I had this hypothesis, what if we could eat plastic, single-use bottles, with software, not with some new type of hybrid technology of a bottle that disappears after it's used, but with, with ones and zeros, with code. And TAP is a software company that its mission is to eliminate the single-use plastic water bottle and democratize access to clean water by connecting water to the internet. Um, the first version of that was, let's find out where all of these water fountains are. So whenever I have my reusable bottle, I can just push a button and find the nearest place to fill up. That was the first part of understanding the supply side of a two-sided marketplace for tap water. The demand side, the buyer side, you all, you know, at your homes, you buy water from a utility company. When you uh, go to a station uh, at the airport, you get water for free. It's my belief that that marketplace is broken, that the price of water is completely mispriced. And that paradox is best seen at the airport where a bottle of water is $4.99 or five bucks or four to five bucks, and tap water is free. And I believe as the world moves from a world of water scarcity, excuse me, water abundance to water scarcity as a result of climate change, that price of water will be the mechanism that is best uh, used to conserve water to uh, invest in our water infrastructure, which we need to rebuild. Um, and bottled water will no longer be the backup or the fail-safe. Um, we will reinvest in our tap water infrastructure with software. And that's where TAP hopes to create all of this software uh, to provide um, this service uh, to the marketplace. That's awesome. But wait a minute. So you're telling me that I'm paying $5 for a piece of plastic that says smart water? I mean, it's not a very smart... Smart thing the, when the plastic bottle lasts for 450 years and and um, you, and we pay 2,000 times the price of of the of the water. That's right. You know, great foresight with tap. Um, incredible to see where water needs to be met. And you know, I want to go back to one of your earlier points. One of the key cogs to tap's business model is eliminating single use plastic water bottles. So now that climate change is at the forefront of the public discussions, large corporations are under more scrutiny um, for their role they are playing in polluting the environment. And there's a lot of good incentives that are coming from this attention. You know, For example, Amazon believes that they are using 100% renewable energy by 2025 and that they uh, are currently the largest corporate buyer of renewable energy in the world. And yet we hardly talk about the amount of plastic that these huge companies generate and that the greenhouse gases that they are emitting from incinerating you know, plastic as, as a waste product. 5.9 million metric tons, according to Columbia University. Amazon, with all their renewable energy process, produced 465 million pounds of plastic waste last year. Uh, and this is minuscule to the likes of Coca-Cola or Nestle. So if, if you were the CEO of one of these large plastic producing companies, plastic waste producing, how would you tackle these looming issues within their business model? It's a fantastic question. And it starts to get to the core values of entrepreneurs I believe that most of the world today has been, you know, that in the modern world has been built on capitalism. And I think that's an amazing thing. Uh, there's this famous quote of the ways people have been um, garnered wealth in the past, gathered their wealth in the past was through pillaging and plundering and stealing and thievery and violence. And capitalism allows uh, a person to serve another person. So in my opinion, the Amazon of the world with their packaging, what goes with it is the amount of time, value, happiness that they have increased for, for literally hundreds of millions of people um, in terms of, let's say, Prime. I think it's like 200 million users or uh, subscribers or more. However, what's missing is social capitalism. And social capitalism takes into 
consideration, environmental factors, human capital, so um, wages, right, um, uh, the hourly uh, hourly wage of employees, etc. So that has been largely missing from the capitalism discussion for however long. Um, let's take Nestle. Nestle CEO would say we are providing a valuable product, packaged bottled water, um, to a consumer. And if we stop selling single-use plastic bottles, people will shift their behaviors to drinking more soda. And soda's not healthy, and that's then a public issue of, of health. That person's correct. People will shift their con- consumption to sugary beverages. But what do we do about it when the CEO of Nestle pays $200 to extract a, a value, you know, basically unlimited amounts of water from Michigan? They're not paying the environmental capital of the cost, the true cost of that water, as a result of pulling it out of that aquifer. So essentially what's broken is the capitalism system does not take into consideration the full price of all of the costs of goods sold. As a result, if I were the CEO of one of these companies, um, let's take Coca-Cola, who was the largest um, um, uh, producer of plastic that in one of these uh, studies was showing they're the largest polluter based on ocean plastic uh, picked up and, 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 and an accounting of, what I would recognize is the margin profile, the increase of my profile to my product and my business when I remove the packaging. Here's what I mean by that. Coca-Cola already has Coke Freestyle. This is the machine that you see at the movie theater. (laughs) Hopefully we'll go back to the movie theater soon. Um, That you see at the movie theater or the sandwich shop at, let's say, Subway. That concentrate, when they ship it, weighs far less than the single-use plastic bottles that are pre-filled with water in a centralized system that was only centralized because of technology. Plastic, those facilities used to be decentralized. People actually preferred the local taste of their water and Coca-Cola concentrate was used to create beverages. New technology plastics make it cheaper. They consolidate it. What's happening now with software is we will see a decentralization again. And what I would do is not ship plastic bottles with water, which is very heavy, because 65% of the cost to the end consumer of a beverage is packaging and transportation. And we haven't even figured in a carbon emissions tax yet. So, so what I'm saying on that is if there is an impending threat, not threat, uh, excuse me, impending legislation, threat to the business, but impending legislation of a carbon tax, it means that that Coca-Cola's margin profile is at risk. And I would communicate, hey, we should double down on Coke Freestyle or Pepsi Spire or Nestle Refill Plus. The big companies, they all have a package-free option. And I would focus the company on saying, hey, we're going to build a brand of a suite of package-free options, and we're going to be the leader. And companies that have done this, Tide detergent, used to ship big, heavy jugs, and then they realized we could ship tablets, concentrate, that most people, I think, now drop into their washing machine and their margin goes up. That's so well said. Would it help if there was just more public public consciousness about this? I mean, I read something the other day. Uh, pertaining to microplastics that said the average American consumes through water or food one credit card worth of plastic every two weeks. It's shocking, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I guess what uh, what can we do? I mean, is it something that there just needs to be more consciousness about the whole issue to drive change? Um, I think this answer is well, uh, excuse me, this question is well-timed. And what I mean by that is if it were asked of me last week, I might have a different response. But this week with the Derek Chauvin trial uh, for the murder now of George Floyd, 
I don't think the plastic, microplastic, people eating a credit card worth of plastic is able to break through. I've seen the headlines. I think most people have seen the headlines. But what we're facing as a society, and specifically talking about America for right now, is a broken society where um, police brutality for over a year now, it's still happening in communities. Uh, Asian violence, the um, the hate crimes, attack, especially attacks on the elderly Asian community, anti-Semitic violence, gun violence. Um, I remember Columbine when I was in, I believe, about middle school. So this has been 20 years of this. So I think the question is not that people don't care. It's really hard to think about a credit card worth of plastic that I can't see when I can see all of these other things in front of me and they are much more of a potential um, critical, crucial threat. And as human beings, we are really um, evolving around mitigating and, uh, you know, risk, right? Like evolution is survival of, of the fittest. It's in, in, in this world today, it's of ideas. And those ideas in my mind require much more public concern and attention than a microplastic of credit card that most people can't see. However, for those of us that are passionate about this, that can do something about this, that have these conversations, create these types of solutions, it's almost our responsibility to do it for those who don't have the bandwidth or, frankly, the capacity to think about it. When the majority of Americans don't have, I believe it's about 500 bucks, and we are in a pandemic that many millions of people lost jobs. Um, I, I think for this, those of us that have almost been privileged or lucky or successful previously and had the opportunity to do so, it's, it's our duty to um, our fellow citizens to take on this responsibility and thinking about it for those that can't. So let me ask you a question then. We're, we're in the moment. Now, uh, March of this year, we had 8.5 million less jobs than we did in March of, of 2020. So that's a transition period for our, our nation, clearly. But we're, we've been presented with this American jobs plan, $45 billion going in to replace all those lead pipes, literally all the money to replace all the lead pipes. Is that a good approach to you? And then what's your opinion of the overall American jobs plan? You know, that's a huge budget for water. Is it the right amount? Is it being spent correctly? Do we need to innovate now? What's your opinion on all of this? It's a fantastic question, and I'll do the best I can to answer it. I'm not a public servant, uh, not yet at least. And um, as I think about the amount of money that was spent on COVID, the Headlines that I'm reading about billions of dollars to a company that barely exists for syringes that weren't delivered. I have to imagine that the current state of our spending is not very efficient. Um, <laughs> when I see the big numbers, um, I think of the debt that we're going into. And we can't we don't have a going concern. I remember an economics professor of mine at, I started at NYU before transferring to UVA. And it was like, well, a country never goes out of business. It could just keep taking debt indefinitely. But what's, yes, it could keep taking on debt, but when we don't have money to invest in our people, then all these other things start failing. Um, no matter the amount of money, um, I believe we need to think like a startup that doesn't have money because innovation is born not from money, but from lack of it. Um, specifically um, with water, something I know about, the average lifetime of a water well, let's say dug in a, in a developing country, is about two years. 50% fail at two years, right? The main reason is because if there's a well dug and that water is free, People use it and ultimately they splash water on the ground and then bugs develop and then 
animals are attracted to the bugs, and then there's a break in the well, and no one takes care of it, and it becomes this tragedy of the commons, and it's a dilapidated infrastructure. So we spend all this money, and it breaks within two years. However, with software, an IoT device, and a payment, mobile payments, we can create a local economy, and there's a company doing this, and this is part of TAP's vision as well. You can create a, co- a local economy that's primarily women, who well, that's one of the top five ways of getting um, uh, reducing carbon emissions is the education and uh, better improvement of, of women and girls. Uh, I believe UN Sustainable Development Goal 5. Um, but you, we can create a local economy of operators to take care of that infrastructure, have the money, create jobs, reinvest, build more wells, bring more clean water people by changing one thing, the price, by changing one thing, it going from a free well to adding some some software. So the uh, bill, which I have not read, which I don't even know how to apply for or help others to apply for, is a massive amount of money that I imagine will be misspent in some way, inevitably, unfortunately, will definitely um, get hardware uh, replacements, which is a great thing. Um, I think there's a major need for software in the space. And um, that's where, you know, I'm trying to position myself in the bill itself is to start providing this type of, of software to everyone making those hardware upgrades. That's awesome. You hit on so many good points and uh, I have read through the bill and what it is, it's just a huge, more of the same centralized approach to infrastructure. You touched on decentralizing uh, water infrastructure earlier. And I think this is so key and so critical. And the reality is federal government is a total, you know, misallocator of capital. Okay. They, it's just going to go to whatever biggest, you know, project or contractor can get their hands on it. It's going to be more of the same. Um, What's interesting, the United States, we're at a pivotal moment right now. If we're going to get serious about green, a green economy, green infrastructure and things of this nature, we need to have a major look in the mirror. Here's a story that I heard yesterday. There's a huge nickel mine in Russia. Uh, We need shit tons of nickel to go into lithium ion batteries if we're going to electrify our country, okay? Tesla batteries, batteries of all, all, all kinds. We are sourcing, or Tesla is sourcing a majority of their nickel from this mine. It has flooded now three times, and they're not going to get all the water out of the this particular mine for what they're thinking could be up to a year. And that is going to cause a 37, I think it's 35 to 40% shortage on nickel, which could drive up the price now of a Tesla two times. Okay, so here's my point. Why is there only one nickel mine functional or operating in the United States right now? It's because mining's dirty. It's nasty. It's, you know, there's this whole thing to like getting nickel out of rock and leaching this material out and, you know, producing a base metal. But My point is, if we're going to have these huge centralized systems that are fragile to any little shock like this, there's no way we're ever going to get there with this. uh, I saw Biden talking about, you know, how he wants to reduce emissions by what what do you say, 50 percent or something. Good luck, buddy. Good luck. You have to think about this whole infrastructure package differently. I think the beauty is there is enough capital and startups and people thinking about it very differently, that it's going to happen. And it starts with what you just talked about. What I interpreted it as is local, hyper-local water infrastructure. That's going to be the future. That's something that we're working on pretty passionately and, and, you know, diligently here at Aquaport. Keep the raindrops where they fall. Bit. I want to push this for you. Do you think that drinking water and stormwater can ever coexist as a freshwater asset? I saw you crank your neck. <laughs> Tell me. <huh? laughs> um, all the water, this is one of my favorite things when people ask about this or all the water we drink was once dinosaur pee. People, when we think of this toilet to tap, right? It's the recycled water. Oh, I'm not drinking that water out of the toilet. It's like, no, you're literally drinking, we're drinking dinosaur pee. 
all the water that has ever been here, all the water we have, and all the water that we will have is the same water. 1%. All the water on the world is 1% of its fresh water. It's all we're ever going to have. And the, and the clean water, because of things like nickel mines or uh, fertilizer or you know all the environmental factors, um, that availability of clean water is declining, right? So um, to your point, when thinking about stormwater, and on the previous part we talked about with um, the, the decentralization, I think what's going to happen from the bill that we just talked about, the infrastructure development, is an opportunity for vendors to sell decentralized systems to, as uh, Kevin, I think you said, keep the water where it is. The transportation of water is extremely, in, in my case, extremely inefficient. The transportation of goods, as we saw with the Ever Given, is extremely inefficient. The rise of keeping water in a given location by using aquapore bricks to uh, clean that water there, like making making that water more clean, to um, uh, using things like atmospheric water generators to generate water in a local environment. These are all ways that a decentralized smart water grid will be built. These are the opportunities for you and me, water entrepreneurs, to offer solutions. And my hope is that there will be some people in the government who think like a startup and not just see how much money is available and grift, but use those resources to enable and to build and to become leaders of green infrastructure, both software and hardware for the entire world. That is I believe America is one of our biggest opportunities um, going forward. Hey, man, you got me so fired up. Oh, man. Okay. So one next question for you. Multilateralism is a part of the conversation. Um, uh, the the um, sustainable development goals. We talk about SDG um, 6 for us, for water, right? You're living in Germany right now. Germany is progressive. Germany's got a lot of things figured out. So where, where are you at with um, the United Nations, the sustainable development goals, and ultimately trying to be net neutral, carbon neutral by 2050? Can we get it done faster with innovation? Or do you think that that's truly the model we should base it on? I'm trying to understand the question as best I can. Um, if the question is, do I think we're going to stay within 1.5 degrees Celsius? Is that part of the question? Correct. Say the goal of being net neutral, a degree and a half by 2050, can yeah, we accomplish? I, I think any. it's like asking a, a startup to forecast their five-year revenue when uh, they're sitting around the kitchen table drawing a napkin, right? Oh, we've done that. <laughs> <laughs> it's too It's it's too far. Like most people don't know what they're doing next weekend, let alone 2050. So do I think we're going to stay within the 1.5 degrees Celsius, I think we're going to have a little bit of that, you know, Marty McFly, like Doc and Back to the Future, he's gone past the point of return, and I'm going to race and scramble and run across the top of the train to catch up, right? I, um, <laughs> I, I think we might be far, a far cry from hitting that, and the world has a little bit of a panic. Um, the good news is... Um, it's a bit of a gold rush. I believe this because it's such an, we are, we are living in a mass extinction event. So technically we are at war and people profit off of wars. Unfortunately that in the past has been against other people, but here the, the war is between us and ourselves as the result of our impact on planet earth. This is a mass extinction caused by us. So I see this as a profit-driven event, meaning wars has been profitable. This one will be. There will be people who sell the green pickaxes. There will be people, politicians, who make their name on climate change and advance and evolve society and move us forward. 
through the model of capitalism. So ultimately, what I think will drive this, and we are seeing this with um, the, cli- the, the various climate funds that have put their stake in the ground, raised their flag and said, you know, Union Square Ventures, lower carbon capital. Um, the, I, I saw today some, some very large fund just came out with their returns. Um, I think climate tech is going to be the hot category for the next few years. Wired Magazine just last week or two weeks ago, I think maybe, actually maybe about a month ago, wrote water is the new hot investment sector. Go ahead, please, Greg. Well, I, you hit on, again, so many things that resonate with me it is uh, I think the capitalist approach or the profit-driven approach is going to drive this. And that, I mean, good, bad, or indifferent, that is the reality. I think, like you said, there will be a gold rush. Now you do have very good capital allocators, i.e. large venture capitalists, people like uh, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, they're starting to put money into things and they're technologists. They understand, um, you know, what's at stake here. I think that will drive us closer to that goal. Um, and of course, you know, government's going to have a role, but I think it's going to come from really the private sector. I I agree. And to add onto that, um, what it will come from, in my opinion, is the retail investor. Aquaport did a crowdfunding campaign uh, pre-Reg CF, but now the Reg CF uh, has changed where uh, it can increase from one to, to five million. Um, if we think about startups and you know people who have really made money in the past 20 to 30 years in Silicon Valley, 30 years ago, if you had an office on Sand Hill Road, it was hard not to make money. If you didn't make money in like the 90s on Sand Hill Road, it was like, you must have been a real jerk. Then like Uber came along in the 2010s, right? And, you know, the, the, the first one was obviously early internet, but really, you know, Facebook was the Peter Thiel, like Reed Hoffman. These were kind of the, you know, the more legendary software investors. Then with Uber, we saw the Open Angel Forum and Jason Calacanis, where, Jason Calacanis, if I understand correct, put $100,000 in and he was scouting for Sequoia. This was the person who worked in an office with Travis previously, who knew Ryan Graves, who, you know, it was the angels that made money. And what we're going to see now with climate is the retail investor who has an experience, she or he or non-binary says, this was my experience on my lake. This is my local community that I'm the mayor of. I can buy these bricks that I found on this crowdfunding site. And not only can I buy them and install them in my town that I get money from the Jobs Act, but I can be an investor in it. The participants, the consumers have an opportunity in the upside. It's amazing. Wow. I know (laughs) it, it has changed the game. Crowdfunding has changed the game. I could not agree with you more. If we didn't notice the power of the retail investor by what happened with that GameStop thing, it's like, this is a whole new era. Um, That Jason Calacanis story is awesome, by the way. Uh, It's an incredible story. I I listened to him and he's obviously a a smart dude. I I follow him pretty closely. Um, But you're right. It's the next level now of... The little guy has an opportunity to get in on something that he understands that resonates with what he or she's doing. And just to put in, you know, 250, 500 bucks to be able to get in at the early stage of these companies and, you know, see where they go. I think it's, it's going to create different types of wealth um, in America, at least. Uh, Samuel, listen, we have like two minutes and I think we need to do a round two. Quite yeah. Frankly. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> I have. I, I think that's definitely got to be in the cards. We could do you it, got it next month. But Unreal. <laughs> I know we're, we're barely scratching the. We surface barely scratch the surface. We have a we have a bunch more we can cover. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I, I have one last question, and this could be really short. Um, and then Kevin, you can ask your final one. But I'm very curious what the best investment that you've made over the last two years is, and it doesn't have to be a financial investment. doesn't have to be an investment in a company. It could be your time, your resources, or your energy. It could be anything. What's the best? 
I think the combination of all three of those is a relationship um, with my girlfriend, Laura. The amount that I have learned about someone else, in particular, empathy, understanding somebody else so, so much, um, that, it, that, that capacity was something that has that you know, that's I don't know if, uh, that that uh, I don't know if it's a skill. What is what you know that understanding of how the world works of myself of her um, that has been my my best investment of the last two years. Shout out to Laura. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Hey, um, we got to go. But round two, we're gonna set it up for for our listeners. Unbelievable, Samuel, Ian, Rosen. Um, pleasure to do this with you today kevin greg thank you so much Uh, indeed a pleasure yeah we'll do it again very soon happy earth day happy earth day same to you take care see ya thank you all for listening to the water voice this podcast can be found on most major podcasting platforms yeah we greatly appreciate all of you in the aquaport community so please continue to download and subscribe Hey, uh, give us a five-star review where you can, and uh, we really look forward to seeing you next time.